Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Stranova, a bi-weekly audio business program exploring the intersection of cutting-edge business strategy and the innovations that can ignite business growth. As an entrepreneur with over 30 years experience leading high-tech organizations, I've constantly sought out new ideas that could take business to an entirely new level of performance. For Stranova, I've invited some of the most innovative business leaders out there and asked them to share their ideas with you. So sit back, listen, and consider what some of these new thoughts might mean to your business as we begin this week's episode of Stranova. In the world of management, one of the most common words we use is also one of the most critical and yet at the same time most misunderstood in the process of making strategic innovation happen. That word is leadership. As we begin this episode of Sternova, I'd like each of you to pause for a moment and think about what leadership means for you as a strategic leader. My guess is that, for many of you, however much you may work with your peers and your own direct reports with a truly participatory management process, you still think of your role as that of the leader and others as those that you lead, the followers. And yet true strategic innovation, as we work with it here in our interviews at Stranova, can't really happen in a dramatic way unless everyone truly takes a leadership role in co-creating and co-producing the strategic changes you want to make in your business and in the interconnected business ecosystem you exist within. Please understand, I'm not talking simplistically about helping everyone just have a chance at leadership. That concept still contains within it the core undermining force of there being a big leader and lesser leaders, where potential, will, and the ability to grow the inherent capacity for leadership are held back like a dog trying to break into full run at the end of her master's ultimately taut and limited leash. To be truly strategic innovators, a true leader needs to develop the capacity to be able to lead leaders, as well as to learn to be led by leaders, all the while without treating those you lead as followers or slipping into the subservient follower role yourself. To help us understand this critical concept further, we are pleased to have Jeff Spahn, the principal and founder of Spahn & Associates, to discuss the very unique consulting practice he founded, and how you can transform yourself and your management team into one where leaders are truly leading leaders. We spoke with him at his offices in the Chicago, Illinois area. Jeff, thanks for joining us on Stranova. I'm glad to be here. As a first question, an obvious one, is to, from a top level, tell us a little bit about the business practice. Leading, leading leaders sounds like, gee, this is something we should all be doing. So how, how would you describe the, the concept of the business as you think of it, as well as, as how it might interact with your client base? Well, when you say something like, you know, it's something that we all should be doing, what comes up to mind for me is that it's something that we all do do. And we're just not always conscious of it, or it's not explicit so that we are able to transfer that and make it contagious. So I'll come back to that in just a second. But the leaders leading leaders, the basic assumption is that prevalent leadership theory and practice assumes that leaders lead followers. And certainly that's the case, and that makes total sense. However, in today's world, leaders are being challenged to lead other leaders, like an executive team, a cross-functioning team, a merger and acquisition, or even business alliances. 
And research indicates that teams that are on a roll or in a groove, highly productive teams, are leading each other. They figure out how to make that magic work. So that, that's basically the concept. You lead followers by either trying to tell them what to do or to convince them to your point of view. And you lead leaders by opening up generative conversations or what I call intrachange dialogue. And that creates a context for mutual leadership to happen. Let, let, me, let me kind of explain it this way. Brad and, and the other listeners, you've all been in conversations that have really taken off. You're talking and you know, you're thinking of ideas and there's energy that's being created and you want to write the ideas down or you wish you had a recording. And it's that dynamic of improvisational conversation. When improvisational conversations happen like that, each of us is learner and teacher at the same time. We're leader and follower at the same time. And ideas and energy greater than the sum of the parts appear. And then that leads us into the future. So the assumption is, in those moments of improvisational conversation, which we have here and there, we are experiencing mutual leadership. We are leader and follower at the same time. And what the Leaders Leading Leaders process does is really break that down into a mindset, personal competencies, and team disciplines to help make that happen more often and to even become habitual. Paul, and you raised a couple of points that I do want to emphasize here that you talked about we normally train our leaders or have our leaders have the discipline of leading followers and, and you're trying to change that paradigm but you're also talking about how the leaders leading is a practice that changes within even peers that sometimes one peer is leading another and, and back and forth and, and that's part of this dynamic interchange that you're talking about. And it's not so much that we're trying to do away with the idea of leading followers because I want to maintain that it's still important to, for leaders to lead other followers through either convincing them of their point of view or telling them what to do because in moments of crisis, I often tell the story of my house is burning down and I invite my daughters to the kitchen table around the dialogue, I'm being irresponsible. There are moments when a leader needs to step up, particularly in crisis, and say, this is what we got to do. However, the more time a leader spends in opening up conversation and practicing what I call this interchange dialogue, the more productive he or she is going to be. And I, I say, you know, it takes two legs to walk, it takes two legs to lead. We need to lead followers, but the more time we spend in leading leaders through this type of process, the more productive we're going to be. Well, and you also learn the discipline of how to work in this kind of an environment where this dynamic interchange is more common and it's less the boss telling the people, here's where we're going and here's what to do. It's, it's far more interactive. That may be a reasonable place to kind of get into some of the, the key elements of the practice. I'm aware of there are quite a number of things that at least the terms themselves might be unusual. You use the, the terms in some of your descriptions of your practice of the primacy of between, how alignment grows from divergent thinking, principle of simultaneous opposites, and those sound at least to the average listener, probably rather esoteric. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, some of the key principles behind 
how you work with companies and what some of these things are? This would be part of working with the mindset and who, who we are to each other and the dynamics of leadership. And the notion of the primacy of between is that one of the core assumptions behind this process is that the real juice for living lies between us. And as we learn to access that energy that lies between us and that wisdom that lies between us, we begin to experience what I call leadership from the center out. And now, most well prevalent leadership theory and practice is often informed by a Western psychological worldview. And the basic assumption there generally is, is that the real dynamic for living lies within, the power within. And then in some religious traditions, the idea is that the power is above and beyond us. And I don't need to debunk either one of those. What we're interested in doing is building upon both of those understandings of power. But the basic assumption is we access the infinite and dynamic power that is designed to lead our lives between us. And when we are authentic with each other, as Martin Buber says, when two or more people are authentic with each other, an energy or a power, he says, a word appears between them. And then the dynamic is as the team or the organization accesses that power that's between, then it's that idea and that energy that leads the team forward, and that's the idea of leadership from the center out. And that would tend to play with this second thing I was mentioning, at least, about the alignment growing from divergent thinking. It is true we all, in our leadership practices, talk about how we'd really like to have alternative ideas, but we have quite a number of, unfortunately, even very high-profile examples in our lives even in our public world, where leaders say they want divergent thinking, but they don't really use it all that well. Can you talk a little bit about how that might work in practice? This whole notion of divergent thinking and this idea of uh, simultaneous opposites, there's a quote there, like something to the effect that, you know, first-rate intelligence requires holding two seemingly opposite ideas at the same time and still finding the courage to act. What I discover is that we, we, in the process, we really try to nurture not just a tolerance of divergent thinking, but a celebration of divergent thinking. And I remember when I, uh, getting a call from a senior executive I was working with who was just absolutely elated because a junior person in his team who was rather quiet, skilled, highly productive, but quiet in the meetings, stood up and took issue with the leader of the team and this leader is not one that backs down a very opinionated person and they had a conversation they had an exchange an interchange dialogue and eventually the leader changed his mind and as a result of this dynamic taking place and he was just elated and so it's as you say it's one thing to say yeah 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 I want it but it's another thing to not only tolerate it but to celebrate it. That's a very powerful dynamic. And in a sense, what happens there is that we have this dynamic of simultaneous opposites. And what's exciting to me about this principle that I just described in that conversation is that it's reflective in our physical world. Whether it's uh, an airplane, I remember talking with Sir David Brown, the chairman of Motorola in the UK, 
and he was talking. He's also a pilot and an engineer, and talking about the dynamic of flight. And in a simple way, it's you know you got push and pull happening at the same time. It's not all about push. It's not all about pull, but it's simultaneously pushing and pulling that enables the plane to take flight. And it's that same dynamic in conversation. It's not just agreeing, but it's agreeing and disagreeing. It's having two different ideas at the same time that become the crucible for education and for learning and for what I would say for mutual leadership, that, that idea of leadership from the center out. With this as a top layer of, of discussion here, you've given some hints from some of the references you've had, but I'm curious about where all the ideas that you have came from. Certainly some of them are very different ways of looking at things than, than we typically hear about. The way I typically respond to that is that this whole idea and this intrigue of leaders leading leaders is certainly around communication because, you know, leaders the dynamic of learning to communicate better and it's certainly about mutual leadership and this whole sense of leading from the center out but the real energy for this in me is this experience of, of being a team rowers talk about getting in the swing when they're rowing and it just feels like the boat is up off the water and they're flying and jazz quintets and music groups talk about getting in the swing or getting in the groove and athletic teams talk about you know, the collective zone or getting into the zone. And it was really an athletic experience that I had in high school where the team I was on in the second half, we just outperformed ourselves. And it was a powerful, alive experience. And I began to wonder, wow, what made that happen? And is that transferable in my life and every day and in teams and organizations. And so I ended up doing some research, a doctorate dissertation at the University of Chicago, where I studied a scholar's movement from a worldview of dialectic, which is more over and against and would inform a hierarchical uh, organization, into dialogue, which is more circular and would inform a flatter type of organization in the leaders leading leaders process. Then I experimented with some of these methodologies in the nonprofit world as an executive. And then when I found out about the dialogue research at MIT, I went there and, and got some exposure to that process and realized, wow, this is great stuff, all the research they've done. But I also felt, gee, I have something to add to this. So started to mix those two together and then did some research on the purpose of business and wow, those are all the kind of elements that fed into it. So it's really kind of eclectic. There's a spiritual dimension, there's an athletic dimension, there's a science dimension, a business dimension, a philosophy dimension. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm guessing companies, when they come to you, are, oh, maybe in a little different state than when they sometimes come to consultants or an outside resource. Uh, often, you know, say you wanted to go about strategic planning, it isn't necessarily that things are broken, and at the same time, a company is stuck. And so they say, you know, we would like to go to the strategic planner, and we are willing to kind of throw ourselves at their mercy. If someone is coming to you, uh, it sounds like the state of the company would need to be fairly receptive from the beginning to your ideas as well, rather than somebody who might be openly skeptical or whatever. 
Brad, it's typically an executive who has had an experience of being on a fairly productive team and may currently be in that experience. Yet at the same time, there's this sense of dissatisfaction because she or he knows that, wow, you know, if we're doing pretty well, but I, I really think we could take off. You know, we've had these moments that have been good, but there's the consistency's not there, and, and there's just kind of this longing for excellence. We're going to take a short break in our interview with Jeff Spahn, and we'll be right back. with Jeff Spahn about leaders leading leaders. Jeff, you know, as I reflect on what we've discussed in the first half of the show, to some extent you could take a phrase out of Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, and apply it to what you're doing, and that many of the companies that you're working with seem to be ones that are in good shape, but they'd like to get in great shape. Is that the case? Yes, and typically there's some experience of having been great even if it's not long-term. And and then hearing about this process, it's like, oh, wow, we could do that more consistently? You know, maybe I you know experienced it at some point in the past. And then that tends to be the appeal. Let's take this then as it goes forward. You, you have a company that's approached you that has had this experience in the past or has had occasional experiences of it in the present and they've said, you know, we, we would like to engage you. How does that practice typically start? What are the, some of the things that you do first off, which are often some of the most challenging parts of interacting with a company, especially from the outside? The first, and I would maintain the most important thing, is the readiness of the formal leader. And that takes some time in some situations. In other situations, it doesn't take so much time. But the leader really needs to be ready for the process and have a deep-seated faith, a belief that he or she is willing to act upon that says that, you know, I really believe that this team can make decisions, can create ideas, can access energy together that I could never get to by myself. And that needs to be an enduring belief that the leader needs to have. And I have a series of conversations with the leader to help engender that belief, but also to gauge whether it's there. Because if the leader doesn't have that, uh, it's not worth going forward with the process because it, the, the risk too great that she or he could sabotage the process so easily. And so that's that's huge. If the process continues from that, you've worked with the leader at the beginning. One thing that I'm expecting is at some point you end up with, uh, maybe it's a specific individual, maybe it's a specific part of the practice, but there's some things that are more challenging than others to either develop or even to get accepted. What are some of the tougher parts of what you try to bring in to the practice? Well, there's this concept, a practice or a discipline that I call displaying, which I think is unique to the interchange dialogue process. 
what it requires a leader to do, and it creates a framework for a leader to do two things that, that are simultaneously opposite. And that is, number one, to assert what they currently think in the field with all the passion that is genuinely there. And sometimes that passion is stronger than others. But at the same time that one asserts what they think and feel, they surrender it as well. So there's this assertion and surrendering simultaneous opposites that I call displaying. And the image we use here is like putting a puzzle together, like a 48-piece floor puzzle, and there's, say, 12 people on the team, and everyone's got four pieces. Well, what happens in that dynamic? People look at their piece, they examine it, and they put it out in the middle, and nobody holds on to it, right? They all let go of it. And nobody puts their piece of the puzzle in their pocket and hides it. But they assert it. They put it out there. At the same time, they let it go and see how the connections are with the pieces. Well, in the conversational puzzle, you assert what you think and feel and let it go and see how it connects with other people's pieces of the conversation. And that, as simple as that is, that discipline, as if it's practiced by the leader and called for by the leader and celebrated by the leader, that becomes contagious and, and the conversations really start to open up. It does sound to me still like there are some pretty big challenges there because there's what I refer to as the emperor's new clothes situation, which I've referred to at least in one of these other podcasts where the leader is pronouncing and sounds very knowledgeable and all that. And the reality is that when you look around the room, if you actually could get into people's heads, you find that 90% of them don't agree with him, but they don't say it. So part of the challenge, I would guess, for you is, you, know, you use the word display, which I think is a great one, is to have people be willing to be, it's not just authentic, but it is that they are displaying that authenticity. Yes. And you can have the authenticity, but you need to display it. And it's important to articulate not only what you're thinking, but also the emotion behind it. I never forget a time we were talking about this idea of, of, of emotion, and an engineer raised his hand up and said, emotion is energy. And I thought, yeah, that's it. I never heard it so succinctly. And that's why the emotion is important, and we need to find ways to bring that into the conversation constructively. There's the phrase, keep the emotion out of it, and I understand what's being said behind that. But if we only keep it out, we also keep the energy out. And that's why a lot of meetings are flat. But at the same time, we don't want their energy to be destructive and explosive. But there are ways to, to make it constructive. And displaying is one of it. It is true that a lot of us, at least here in the U.S., have had drilled into us over our careers, especially in corporate life, of you know keep the emotion out of it. But think about it. I mean, why do you work there all day long? You do have a paycheck, but you work there in part because there is a charge that you get out of it, and that's emotional. And what we want everybody the team to bring that charge together, there's some risk involved there, and, and that's a challenge for leaders to find a way to constructively and productively bring the energy of emotion into the conversation. After this discussion so far, you know, one thing that comes to mind here is bringing us back almost to the beginning of the conversation where I was saying, you know, that the, the whole concept of leading leaders is, to me at least, something that is probably one of the most valuable skills for a corporation's management team to understand. At the same time, one of the least common for 
a corporation either to emphasize or to master. Why do you think that happens? I think there's a lot behind this, kind of the macro view, I, I think, and kind of looking, stepping back a little bit and looking at society is that many of us were raised in hierarchical families. You've got the father and the mother, and, and then we go to schools where there's a teacher, and we go to the synagogue or the temple or the church where there's the priest or the rabbi, and then we go to work, and there's the boss. There's a lot of reinforcement of that and the habits behind that, the habits of thinking, the habits of speaking, the habits of acting are informed there. And so we're really talking about rewiring our thinking and our conversations and our actions in a more collaborative, collective, mutual way. However, I do think that our society is shifting and more and more people are being raised in more egalitarian situations. The folks in their 20s, they're not looking for a boss. They're looking for somebody they can work with. They're looking for partners. And that's a significant shift and I think a real opening and that we have a window of opportunity here to really have an impact not only on the business world but on society as well as, as we are able to step into this, what I would call not only more productive, but more humane way of leading each other. It actually plays to something which I know is well beyond the scope of our discussing here, and yet interesting one maybe to explore sometime. One of them is that you know we think of that our, our parents at least were raised in a generation where the military approach and top-down direction is very much part of the way that they were led. There is a school of thought that says that part of the reason for the innovations that we see in the information age and all that came out of those people that grew up in the 1960s and 70s, that there was a desire to really get out there and do something different. And then now we have this generation that, to your point, is not looking for a boss, which means that 20 years downstream, we can look at for some pretty incredible transformations in the way that companies are being run. And you can look over the movement, at least in part in the United States, in terms of women's suffrage, women voting, African Americans voting, and you know, there we have race and gender. And, and now I think some shift is happening in class, that within organizations, there's a generation coming up that is more and more looking and perhaps demanding a much more collaborative approach to being organized and working together. Can you give an example of some, maybe some companies that have really benefited by some of the work that you do with them? Sure. One company I'm working with is, I've done quite a bit of work with, is a, uh, a financial institution, a mutual fund company. And they are a company that really, from the get-go, values collaboration. And yet, once we open up a conversation, there's the understanding that they're not nearly as collaborative as they think they are or that they could be. They've been having a flood of business in contrast to maybe some other companies. What happens there is that I start to work with these teams, and as they engage in these conversations and the divergent thinking appears, what begins to happen is that they begin to access what I call the collective will. Now, I don't use the word consensus because often that means the least common denominator, but a collective will, an energy and wisdom that comes from divergent thinking. And so often they find themselves not necessarily making decisions, but simply allowing decisions to appear. 
And so as that begins to happen on a consistent basis, they, they really start to, to become highly productive. And I remember one executive calling me on a Friday afternoon, kind of giddy, saying, I, I don't have anything to do. You know, the, the team is working so well and is able to go home. Since then, he's taken on other responsibilities because his team's done so well, they've wanted him to run other executive teams. Actually, probably a great place to get close to a close here, Jeff, since a lot of people hear this principally only as audio, even though I will put some links on our website to yours. Can you tell people a little bit about where they could learn more about what your practice is all about and perhaps contact you for more information? The website is leadersleadingleaders.com. And I do have an article. It's not on the website, but people could request that at J, the letter J, S-P-A-H-N, J Spawn, at leadersleadingleaders.com. I encourage our listeners to contact Jeff literally from all over the world. I know he'd be happy to hear from wherever this is being listened to and encourage all of you as well to perhaps think about some of the things that Jeff has described and see if you can put them to practice for your own business. Jeff, thanks a lot for joining us this week on Stranova. Wow, it's my pleasure to be on Stranova. I'm real excited about the work you're doing, Brad, and look forward to future podcasts. It isn't easy, this business of becoming a team of leaders who practice the skill of leading leaders. Most of us have been brought up throughout our management career and even in our personal lives in an environment where we were taught that leadership was where you led and they followed. And yes, that is the root of the word leading, but the concept is so old school. Think about it for a bit. If you are truly working on some major strategic innovation, do you really believe it will become all it could be just by involving others in the creation process and then handing out the assignments. And this also isn't about that old metaphor of the flock of birds that switch off between who is the leader at one time and allow others to take the lead to let the original leader rest for a change. This is about harnessing the energy of each and every member of your organization to simultaneously lead and enhance the leadership capacity of every other leader all at the same time. Sound like a lot of work? Sound like a pile of paradigms need to go by the wayside? Maybe so. But that's what you signed up to when you decided to be a strategic leader, isn't it? And even if the exact methods of what Jeff Spahn has laid out might not be the precise ones you put into practice to make this all happen, if you consider that exerting will as a leader is best leveraged when building as much capacity as possible in others rather than just leading people in the right direction. That's what true leadership is all about. That's my reflection for this week. And thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about any of the topics in this week's show, please visit our website at www.stranova.com. And be sure to look at the current programs and resources pages for some interesting insights on our speakers and recommended links to related reference materials. If you have any comments on our show or suggestions for people to invite for future shows, please do contact us at ideas at stranova.com or leave us a short voice message on our Stranova comment line at area code 408-849-4394 or via Skype by a click from our homepage. This recording is copyright 2006 by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson thanking you for listening and looking forward to talking with you next time on Stranova.